So I'd like to begin once more with my appreciation or with a sense of appreciation uh, for all of you, for each of you. And we can include in that all the different flavors of you <laughs> that have arisen today. Yeah. Or maybe just in this last half hour meditation. Yeah. So appreciation to the enthusiastic you <laughs> and appreciation to the restless you or grumpy you or disconnected or patient or creative yeah. all those different aspects different voices that are a part of who we are yeah. each of us and this remembrance this reminder that we can meet each of them and all of them with, with metta, with this attitude of uh, kindness, of interest that we've been exploring together, that we've been um, cultivating together. So yeah, that possibility to meet the grumpy <laughs> yeah, as well as the creative or enthusiastic with that attitude that is opening into its uh, potential uh, of being unconditional being unconditional and remembering also this is a skill that we are cultivating that we're developing little by little moment uh, by moment, at the appropriate pace for us at any given time. Any given time. And that range of metta that we've been kind of opening out uh, from meeting ourselves to uh, meeting others. And it's really a range here. We want to give that sense, a range of possibility that meta can move through. And we work with it skillfully, appropriately. So sometimes, you know, we can bring that intention of meta towards something that is more challenging and more difficult. And if that gets too much, And we remember, ah, I don't have to kind of stay at a place that's too edgy. I can bring the metta somewhere else. Because ultimately, what matters is that the metta is present and that it's flowing, that it's being cultivated. And so we're opening that range, we're remembering that range and we're opening at a at a pace that's appropriate and in a way that's appropriate within a particular time, a particular set of conditions. 
So as we do that, as we remember, our metta is a way of relating that we're cultivating. It's a range that we're expanding and that we're kind of bringing to meet with appropriateness and to each moment. Uh, as we're doing that, we're transforming our experience and we're transforming ourselves and we're transforming the world. So not to put any pressure on you. <laughs> yeah. On us. Yeah. If that's helpful. Yeah, to feel that. For me it's helpful. Uh, to have a sense of ah this is this is something that is transformative even at the places where it feels stuck. Yeah. There's something in that showing up, there's something in that creativity and of finding the appropriate um, avenue for it to flow. That's transformative. In the moment over time uh, for oneself and for the world. So this kind of range of metta, and there's different ways that, that it opens out and one is the way I just spoke of, you know, how we expand it and bring it in with appropriateness. There's also um, this beautiful kind of opening of the range that Ramiro mentioned today, uh, when we meet uh, the pleasant with metta, yeah, then kind of appreciation <laughs> appears, yeah, or joy, yeah, or gratitude when we meet uh, the unpleasant with metta, then compassion uh, is, is attuned to, yeah, flourishes. When we meet uh, the kind of not particularly pleasant or unpleasant with metta, yeah, that's a real, that friendliness comes with a sense of interest. And when we find a place of rest amongst this movement yeah, that's constantly happening, the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neither, no. When we find a place of rest with all of that in an atmosphere of uh, friendship and goodwill, then uh, we find equanimity. We find upeka in Pali. Yeah? A place of rest within the movement of life. And one more range that we can uh, talk about. Yeah. Range of meta, spectrum maybe of meta. Is from the more, um, we can say the more um, everyday or uh, growth levels of meta. Yeah. Of like, oh, that care that we feel, yeah. that love that we feel. Uh, towards another yeah, in a very uh, personal relationship yeah, for me. It's a lot with my nieces and nephews. Mm. I knew I was going to say this when I told them, don't say this anyway, I'll say this. <laughs> Recently, a few months ago, I had the experience of my eldest niece coming on a retreat that I was teaching. And it was such a beautiful experience, uh, she's 24, to have her there and have in the hall yeah, someone who's been 
an object of my meta practice <laughs> yeah for 24 years uh-huh. and just that sense of you know so we have that and so when i say the, the more gross i'm not at all it's not meaning not beautiful not powerful uh-huh. that very personal love that's also actually kind of yeah when we bring that meta flavor to it and so meta has that range from there and then it goes more and more and more refined yeah more and more and more refined more and more subtle until it becomes at its subtlest at its deepest end um, what the buddha referred to as non-enmity or non-ill-will, non-ill-will. Yeah? It's a very refined spectrum. Yeah? We wouldn't call it love, and yet it is. Yeah? And so that's also a, a spectrum that we're moving along with meta practice, a range that we're moving along. It's really helpful to um, remember. So sometimes, especially with uh, the difficult relationships, we kind of wonder, how can I, <laughs> how can I bring metta here? Uh-huh. And then if we remember, yeah, non-ill will, non-enmity, yeah, I'll come back to that. And so maybe we can start to see with all of this, with these possibilities of metta, with all the ways it can uh, move, with its richness. We can maybe see um, that metta uh, is a really strong power. I think I used this before, superpower. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a really um, powerful source of resilience for us. Yeah. When we can rest into it, when we can bring it forth, when we can tune into it, it brings a real resilience, a real resilience. And we can see that uh, in ourselves, we can see that in others, and we can see that in our own experience. Yeah, so another little example, a few weeks ago, um, I had a meeting that I was really dreading. <laughs> I knew it was gonna be difficult, I had a certain view and I knew there were going to be a lot of people there who had a different view and it was going to be really hard. Uh, I was dreading it on the one hand but also feeling it really mattered to me. And as a preparation for that meeting, every time the thought would come up, oh, it's going to be really hard, it's going to be really hard, I would just imagine the other people that were going to be there and practice metta towards them. And that, yeah, that's the, the kind of resilience because it becomes, it's like a protection. It's counterintuitive to, uh, for, to us because it's a protection of the open heart. Mm. It's the safety, it's a, it's a deep resilience. The open heart. Not the armoring. Mm. And similarly, you know, we've been doing this in our, in our practice. And you know, there's maybe um, hindrances or self-doubt you know, that comes up. And we can bring in the meta practice. As someone was saying today, like the juice or the oil <laughs> that we bring in to the system. When the practice gets dry, 
mechanical. And we bring that in. Bring that sense of metta towards ourselves or towards another to get yeah, to get it flowing, to get it going, to remember yeah, that we are um, deserving of this and that we are deserving to walk this path. like I'm going really fast. <laughs> yeah. It's a good moment to meet with metta and to just kind of explore perception. Am I? Aren't I? Should I ask you? <laughs> I will ask you, am I going too fast? No. Well, at least some people think no. Yeah. So another possibility that metta opens up is um, this nourishment of flexibility and pliability of the heart and mind. So something that happens in meditation practice is that as we practice, the mind and heart, the heart-mind becomes more flexible and more pliable. And again, this is a quality that's very much related, associated with resilience, adaptability, and the capacity to change the kind of strength of bamboo. Yeah. The strength of bamboo. And the more flexibility, the more pliability, the more resilience that are available to us, the more uh, possibilities of response open up for us. Yeah, the less uh, limited we are by uh, habits, and by reactivity. Yeah, so metta really opens that up through that, all these ranges that I've described. Yeah, I'm just going to say some of them again because there were a lot. <laughs> that movement of the metta meeting experience and then morphing, yeah, to use the word that Romero used today, into compassion, into appreciation, yeah, into interest into equanimity. Yeah. It's like, ah, we already see that friendliness meets experience and opens out. Yeah. So the flexibility of not just meeting one way, but responsiveness. A possibility to move from a really kind of very emotional tenderness, yeah, a frequency of a very strong emotional tenderness. to a much more like, subtle, just non-ill will, non-enmity towards uh, something or someone. That opens up the possibilities of response. Yeah. So God, we can say, yeah, I can disagree with someone and still hold them in metta. You see how revolutionary that is? Because our habit as human beings is if I disagree with someone, then I need to shut down. And I need to position myself in opposition. And what happens you know, when we kind of find more possibilities than just that? And just being in opposition. So we're less limited by habits and reactivity. And 
We're changing the grooves of the brain. We're changing the habits of the brain. Sometimes we speak about uh, metta as uh, the goal of the path, yeah, where we're heading. Uh, spoken of uh, as one of the Brahma Viharas. And Brahma Viharas mean the divine abodes or divine abidings. Uh, the state of heart and mind of an awake being or a divine being. And I, I like the colloquial translation of Brahma Vihara, our best homes. Yeah. Our best homes. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Where we feel at home and at our best. This quality or these qualities, there's four. Metta is one of them. Compassion is another. Joy is a third. Equanimity, upeka is the fourth. The best homes of a human heart and mind. And and say kind of where we're heading, what we're cultivating towards. And the beauty of it is that the, you know, it's the goal of the path, but it's available right here, as we've been saying, as an intention, as a seed, as a seedling, <laughs> as a sapling, <laughs> as a young tree. Yeah. All of those, we meet them in ourselves, not just one part. Yeah. We meet them in ourselves. And we grow, we nourish that seed or that sapling or that seedling or that tree and then we get nourished by it as well, right? Because it doesn't go just one directional. So metta is the goal of the path and is the path itself as the path that we are walking. It's a cultivation. We walk it, we cultivate, we nourish, we develop this way of relating. And as we cultivate, as we nourish, as we develop, we're shaping the path for others and ourselves. So again, this sense of, as we're doing these practices, transformation for ourselves and in the world and for others. Mm. Yeah, I find that also very moving to see ourselves practicing, walking on the path as part of this movement through history, through time, through cultures. It's possible for us because others have walked in this way. And as we're walking, we're making this possible for others that will come after us, including ourselves. Another day, another year, another retreat, whatever it is. So as we remember, metta is unconditional, it's boundless, it's illimitable. Shifting the boundaries of our kinship, of who we include in our circle of friendship, who we include, what we include 
in our circle of care, of belonging. And we've touched on it here and probably seen it uh, when we bring uh, the intention of metta towards someone who's neutral. Sometimes people say, (laughs) I know I've had that experience, but who's neutral? Actually, we see how quickly <laughs> the Vedana comes. You know, very once we bring attention to someone, how long do they stay neutral? Uh, it's really interesting. And when we start bringing meta friendliness into the equation, uh, very quickly it can change. We might suddenly be very moved by how much care there is in us towards this person who's maybe whose name we don't even know. But we can, it's that connection that's created when we bring the interest and when we bring the friendliness and the goodwill. And sometimes it can get quite funny. (laughs) I remember someone telling me on a long, long retreat of practicing metta and just kind of finding like after a certain amount of time with someone as the neutral relationship, they would just have to change the person because it was really no longer neutral. It was like, this is my best friend. (laughs) And if I meet them in the street tomorrow, it's going to be really embarrassing. I've actually had that experience, I have to say, (laughs) of working with someone as a neutral person on a retreat and then meeting them. And I was definitely still neutral for them but they were not for me, and it is embarrassing, yeah. you know, in, in the most beautiful way. It's like when you're like, hey, so great to see you, and the other person is like, yeah, you're a bit enthusiastic today. Yeah. And so it can be really interesting to see. It, it changes, and it's not dependent on the other person in this case. Yeah. It's the way of relating. So the neutral can change over time. And similarly, um, like we've been saying, with a challenging relationship, with care, with patience, just remembering the possibilities that are there. Again, from my own experience, I can say with some really challenging relationships, over years of practice, change change and it doesn't mean that it has to happen it doesn't mean that that needs to be our goal but to know that that is possible to know that that is possible I think for me a great inspiration that I often remember is is His Holiness the Dalai Lama and how he refers to the Chinese authorities I don't know if you've heard this, but he says, when he speaks about the Chinese authorities, he says, my friend, the enemy. Yeah. My friend, the enemy. And here again, this non-enmity, this non-ill will, the capacity to deeply disagree and to uh, not condone the harm that comes from someone else's behavior, and yet to not hold them as an enemy. Something I at least find very inspiring to aspire to. 
And really important here, the wider the range that we cultivate. And when I say cultivate, it's not only, you know, to be the Dalai Lama, but to remember that possibility. That's already so much, so much. The wider the range, the more we can include in our aspiration, in what we aspire to, the more well-being is available to us. The more well-being is available to us. The wider the range, the more we can remember there is a range. How can I open here? And it goes against the grain. It goes around against the habits of us as human beings. And yet that freedom is available to us, is possible for us. And, you know, some really simple examples. Like for, for myself, you know, I think of times when um, I, I find it difficult to sleep. It happens to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then bringing metta to that experience is night and day <laughs> difference. Bringing metta to the experience of not sleeping, mm-hmm. bringing matter to that experience. Sometimes it actually becomes very pleasant if the matter is really going. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of spaciousness and there's a lot of ease. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there's still the unpleasantness of I'd much rather be asleep right now. Yeah. But there's a bigger container for that. A container of metta. I can hold myself in metta within this. Yeah. And you know, some of you are reporting experiences like that here on the retreat. And hold that in a bigger container. It's really possible for us as we keep cultivating this intention. And I want to attempt, I brought my glasses, so hopefully the attempt will work, to read something from a book. Wonderful aspect of aging. So this is a a wonderful, wonderful book called Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion. Some of you may know it. And it's by Father uh, Gregory Boyle. And in this book, he shares some of his experiences from several decades of uh, being a Jesuit priest in um, an area of Los Angeles where there's a lot of uh, hardship, difficulty. And this piece is from a time, I think, in the mid-80s, yeah, when uh, there was some legislation um, which made it very difficult for undocumented workers in, uh, I don't know if all across the USA or in Los Angeles in particular. And so the church that he uh, was working in opened itself as a a sanctuary. And so people would, undocumented uh, men, women, children, would come uh, to sleep there. 
at night. So that's the, that's the intro. And the, here's, here's, here are his words. Once the homeless began to sleep in the church at night, there was always the faintest evidence that they had. Come Sunday morning, we'd foo-foo the place as best we could. We would sprinkle I love my carpet on the rugs and vacuum like crazy. We'd strategically place potpourri and airwick around the church to combat this lingering pervasive reminder that nearly a, a hundred men had spent the night there. About the only time we used incense at Dolores Mission was on Sunday morning before the 7.30 a.m. Mass. The crowd would arrive, and still, try as we might, the smell remained. The grumbling set in, and people spoke of churching elsewhere, going to a different church. The smell was never overwhelming, just undeniably there. And us Jesuits figured that if we can't fix it, then we'll feature it. So we just determined to address the discontent in our homilies one Sunday, which were often dialogic in those, in those days. So here's his service. <laughs> so one day I began with, what's the church smell like? He's asking his congregation. <laughs> People are mortified. Eye contact ceases. Women are searching inside their persons, inside their purses, for they know not what. Come on now, I throw back at them. What's the church smell like? <coughs> it smells like feet. Don Raphael booms out. He was old and never cared what people thought of him. <laughs> Excellent, but why does it smell like feet? Because many homeless men slept here last night, says a woman. Well, why do we let that happen here? It's what we've committed to do, says another. Well, why would anyone commit to do that? Because it's what Jesus would do, someone answers. Well then, what's the church smell like now? A man stands and bellows. It smells like commitment. And the place cheers. A woman gets up, waving her arms wildly. It smells like roses. The packed church roars with laughter and a newfound kinship that embraced someone else's odor as their own. The stink in the church hadn't changed only how the folks saw it. The people at Dolores Mission had come to embody Wendell Berry's injunction. You have to be able to imagine lives that are not your own. So the smell in the church didn't change. What changed is how the people saw it. And even more so, the boundaries of their kinship. Yeah. I love that line where he says, they embraced someone else's odor <laughs> as their own. 
Yeah? But not only as their own odor, but as their divine abiding, yeah? as their best home. Mm-hmm. As what, for them, what Jesus would do. Yeah? So they place themselves, they understand that possibility to do what Jesus would do. And then the smell of feet changes to the smell of roses or the smell of commitment. So we can see, hopefully, we can feel that liberating power of loving awareness and how it is um, a doorway, a doorway to insight, a doorway to wakefulness and freedom. We can see in our own experience, in the experience of others, that the in here, the way of looking, the way of relating shapes the out there. Even if the object is in here, yeah, it's the same movement. It shapes it. How we perceive a smell changes. How we perceive another changes. It opens up that understanding for us uh, more and more. Metta is also uh, a gateway to more insights. For example, in the formal medita- meta meditation practice, uh, we use a form yeah, where I <laughs> am sending meta to another, yeah, including myself. Yeah, but we use that form. I am sending meta to another, and we can remember this is a form. This is a vehicle. And sometimes people ask. And people have been asking he- here as well. <laughs> Hold on, who's sending meta to whom? And who, who is this sending matter? <laughs> yeah, we can start to, to kind of ponder that. And this is a, an experiential question. It's, it's really helpful to ponder that. Um, it's also uh, a conceptual question that's worth reflecting on. Yeah. Who is sending matter to whom? Or who's this sending matter? <laughs> who is this I? And we might notice that when metta is flowing, at times when there's a flow of metta, when it feels like it's really kind of it's got a momentum to it, uh, the, self, the sense of self in other dissolves, you know, or at least changes. You know, there's not that sense. Even if I'm still saying those phrases, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, or whatever I'm saying, there may be a sense of, there's less of a sense of me here sending something uh, to somebody else there, but more the sense of the meta flowing through. So a dissolving of that uh, um, separation, but also a dissolving of how um, clear-cut a sense of self is and a sense of other is. And so we can say also that meta is rooted in 
the insight that the sense of self and the sense of other are dynamic, changing, in constant, fluid, and changeable. Yeah. It's rooted in that. And I said, ah, when I practice metta to the neutral <laughs> for long enough, it will, they will stop being neutral. Yeah. So the sense of other yeah, is changeable. But also the sense of self. Because when the meta is flowing, when there's a momentum, just, you know, next time it happens, just take a peek. A little glance, yeah. Keep going with the meta, mostly, but just take a little peek and just check what is the sense of self like right now? Mm. Has it changed? So meta is rooted in this insight, but it also reveals it. Mm. It reveals it. It feels, ah, the way we take, you know, this self to be, the way we take another to be, not as constant, not as fixed as we think it is. Mm-hmm. Uncovers that inconstant, fluid, conditioned, dynamic, changing and changeable aspect. Another way of saying it, Metta reveals like that like every other appearance, the sense of self is also empty of an independent, separate existence. Uh, arises in relationship to other things. So the wider our base of belonging is, yeah, the wider our base of belonging is, the more pliable and dynamic our sense of self is, the more well-being is available. More well-being is available to this being and to other beings. To this being and to the other beings that this being comes into contact with. And I love to imagine, and I love encouraging others to imagine a world of metta, <laughs> yeah. a world where metta is um, the default <laughs> of the human heart-mind. Yeah. And when we imagine that, we inhabit it, at least a little bit. And when we inhabit it, then we bring it into being, at least a little bit. Yeah. So we imagine that and we feel that and maybe that nourishes the aspiration to include more and more beings in our circle of care. More and more beings in our circle of care. Uh, and eventually all beings. Include all of them in our circle of care, of compassion, and of delight. There's a beautiful quote of um, Mother Teresa. Um, I couldn't find it exactly in English, (laughs) so it's a bit from my memory. Um, But she says something like, you know, the problem with our world is that we define the boundaries of our family too narrowly. Kinship again. Who we see as our family is too narrow. And that causes so much of the suffering in the world. And so as meta deepens, yeah, the sense of self, the sense of other, uh, they dissolve, they change. 
the boundaries of uh, our circles of care and friendship change. Mm. The boundaries of what we feel uh, we belong to or where we feel we belong. Who our family is, they change. And this happens through the practice, as we practice. This can unfold for us. It can also be a way of practicing, Mm. of actually radiating metta, dissolving those boundaries, letting the world fill with that quality, with that intention. And I want to close with a, a quote from a friend of mine just from a few days ago when I was speaking with him. And uh, I wonder how he would describe himself if I asked him, but I'm just going to imagine that. <laughs> and he would probably say that he's just a simple farmer. Yeah, simple farmer living in a village in Palestine. So we were talking uh, on the phone and he was telling me both of some family difficulties, brother being unwell and needing an operation soon. And he was also telling me about some uh, latest difficulty with the Israeli authorities in the village. And as we often do, we sit together, even over the phone, just in a few moments of silence together, at the, you know, in the face of, of that, in the face of that. And for those of you who don't know, I mentioned I'm, I grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Israel, and I'm a Jewish Israeli. And then he said to me, you know, there's suffering in the world. There's suffering in the world. And there's harm caused in the world. And then there's us. Then there's people like us doing our best to bring good into the world and doing it together. Simple farmer. Yeah. With a heart as big as the world and the wisdom uh, that I can only aspire to. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to close with with his words, yeah, because I feel like he's speaking to all of us even though he's never done a meditation retreat. Mm. He's speaking to all of us. And he's saying to us, imagine a world of metta. Because there is metta in the world. And that metta is rooted in and coming from individuals. Like you and I. So imagine a world of metta and right here and now with the particular conditions, back to the beginning (laughs) of the talk, with the particular conditions of your heart, mind and body at this time, 
bring that into being. You know, bring that metta into being. Align with your intention. And remember that you're not doing this alone. You're not doing this alone. Part of a network. Doing what we can to do good, to bring good into the world together. So let's close with Abid's invitation to all of us here. With a moment of silence together to digest. practice together be a support and a nourishment to each of us on our path and may our practice together be for the welfare and the benefit of all beings sharing this precious planet with us. So thank you for your listening, your presence and your practice. And we have some time for walking practice. You already know what I like to do. Uh, If you like to do it too, then yeah, warm drink, a warm layer, and the sky outside, even if it's cloudy, still magic. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.